Good morning. Genesis chapter 6 this morning. As we continue our series in the book of Genesis, the next four weeks we'll be looking at Noah and the flood, and today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 6. Just a reminder, Wednesday night Bible study, 7 o'clock over in the cafeteria. We had a great group out for our first Bible study of the year on Wednesday, and we hope that that will continue. One of the themes that plays prominently in these next four chapters we're going to look at over the next four Sundays, Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, is that when God created the universe, He created a moral universe. We're going to see again how that plays out over the next few weeks. One of the other things that we see here in Genesis is that our God is a God who sees. He sees the evil and He sees the good. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone to strengthen whose heart is devoted to Him. God will not strengthen us to sin. God will not strengthen us to go our own way and do our own thing independently of Him. But God will give us all the strength we need to follow Him and to do His will. God will empower us and enable us to do everything we need to do to draw closer to Him and to bless others. So if you are here today and you are in a weakened condition, spiritually speaking, it may be because you're taking on things that God never asked you to take on or that you're trying to live independently of God and you're trying to go your own way. Because God promises, I'm looking, I see, I want to strengthen those who are willing to follow me. And in the midst of the world at this time, as God looked over the world, God found one man, one man to work with, to use, to partner with, one man to bless others through, and that man was Noah. In this passage today, I want to share with you five things that I see from Genesis chapter 6, all revolving around the fact that God is a God who sees and He created a moral universe. First of all, I want to direct your attention to verse 8. Of chapter 6. Where it says, Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. I want to start there. You and I, including Noah, we can't earn the favor of God We don't deserve the favor of God. In fact, this word favor is 
also could be translated grace. It's the first mention of grace in the Bible. And by its very definition, God's grace is something that is undeserved and unmerited. So how do we find favor and grace with God? How did Noah find favor or grace with God? Because when God looked down, God saw humility. How does one find favor or grace from God? By humbling ourselves before the Lord. By saying, God, I want to live dependently upon you. I don't want to live independently. God, I don't want to do my own thing. I want to do what you've created me and called me to do. And when you and I live that way, we will find all the favor and grace that God can dispense upon a human being. Noah, again, did not earn it, did not deserve it any more than any of us do, but we can find it when we humble ourselves before the Lord. This is a message found throughout the New Testament, even. James tells us that God resists the proud, but will give all grace to those that are humble. Therefore, James says, let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's where it starts, with humility. But I also want you to see this, that God not only saw Noah's humility, but then beginning in verse 9, God saw a man who was willing to follow him And therefore, he rewarded Noah because of it. Beginning in verse 9, God shares with us the character of Noah and how different he was from his contemporaries. And he says four things about Noah in verses 9 and 10. First of all, he says that Noah was a godly man. That simply means that Noah was willing to conform to the standards of God. So that means that Noah understood that God had standards. He acknowledged that God has a standard and that he willingly, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, he willingly conformed to the standard of God. He said, God, if that's the way you want me to live, then I'll live that way. And obviously, knowing that I need your grace or your favor to do that, so I'm going to humble myself and not try to do it on my own, but I'm going to do it with the grace and the favor that you have dispensed upon me. God, I need you. God, I'm depending upon you. Then the next thing that the Bible says about Noah is that Noah was a blameless man. This doesn't mean sinless. You know the story of Noah. You know that he was far from a sinless man. But the word blameless means that he was wholeheartedly in with God. That when it came to his relationship with God and the kingdom of God, his heart was there. He loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that whatever he did for the Lord, he did it wholeheartedly. That's what the word blameless means. The Bible also tells us that Noah walked with God. This means that he lived in this 
Again, intimate communion with God. He lived in partnership with God. He lived in friendship with God. God was not something or someone distant to him, but God was someone up close that Noah shared life with every day. That's what it means to walk with God. That God was his everyday companion. And that even though maybe visibly, any more than you and I can see God, he knew God was there. He knew God was present. He knew God was near. And he walked with him and he fellowshiped with him. And again, he partnered and communed with him every day. And again, the comment here is that it was so different from his contemporaries, and we're going to certainly see that. One other thing that God says about Noah. He was godly, he was blameless, he walked with God, and then the Bible tells us he was a father. Tells us he had three sons. And so this reminds us that he was a family man. And it also reminds us, if you know the story of Noah, how important it is that if God does allow you and I to be parents, how important it is that we have a relationship with our children. That we don't just raise children. That we don't just instruct our children. Or that we just sort of, you know, try to mold them to be what we never were, what we want them to be. No, the important thing for us is to have a relationship with our children. Because when you think about the story of Noah, if Noah would have never had a relationship like he did with his sons and then eventually his daughters-in-law, nobody else would have gotten on that ark when the time came. So I just want to specifically for just a few seconds speak to fathers out here today. Fathers. One of the greatest things you will ever do in your life, one of the greatest ministries you could ever have in life on earth is to have a strong relationship and influence upon your children. To have children that grow up, yes, respecting you, but even more than that, loving you. Because your relationship with them wasn't just built upon a household where you had all the right rules, but where there was a relationship there. A relationship that would last on in and through adulthood. And that's what you see here with Noah. God sees and rewards faithfulness. And God has certainly laid out for us in a very succinct way, why Noah stood out. Because the next thing that we see in this passage is that God also sees and judges wickedness. Look up at verse 5. But the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind had become great on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of their minds was only evil all the time. 
And the Bible even says twice here that the Lord regretted that He had made humankind on the earth. He repeats that at the end of verse 7. I regret. It means to, to sigh. To breathe deeply is what this word means. It's like, because God sees. And God never misses anything. He doesn't miss anything good, but He also doesn't miss anything evil or wicked. And you think about that. You and I, even as Christians, we know the burden, if you will, that it is upon us, living in the world we do, just hearing a, a minute amount of the evil and wickedness that is happening on the earth. It weighs on us. And we're sinful. Can you imagine the weight and the burden that God bears as a holy God sits here and He looks out and He sees every amount of evil and wickedness and wrong that mankind does to themselves and to one another? That's why even God says in verse 6, the Lord not only regretted He made kind on the earth, but it says He was highly offended. The word means to be in pain. To be grieving over what He saw on the earth. It was so not what He intended when He created Adam and Eve. All He saw was human beings who were destroying themselves by their own sin and choices independently of Him and how they were hurting one another. In fact, the Bible talks about the extreme violence that was on the earth that God saw. Look at verse 11. The earth was ruined in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, God saw the earth and indeed it was ruined. The word means to be corrupted, to be spoiled. It was a word used by the Hebrews to, to sort of explain a, a rotten fruit or vegetables or something that had laid out and sort of again been corrupted from within and spoiled and no longer useful. God says, when I look down and I see all of this evil, all of this wickedness, all of this violence, it brings me such pain. And God here also in chapter 6 is building, if you will, a case to show how just He was in bringing such extreme judgment like a worldwide flood. So yes, God sees and rewards faithfulness and those who will follow Him but in contrast to that, God does judge wickedness as well. In fact, notice he says to Noah in verse 13, God said, I've decided that all living creatures must die. We've got to start over because the earth is filled with violence because of them. And now I am about to destroy them and the earth. By the way, it's very interesting that Jesus, when He was teaching while here on earth, He drew a parallel between the 
kind of world that Noah existed in before the flood came and the kind of world that will exist before the Son of Man comes back. Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days that the Son of Man returns to earth. And when you think about the description, every inclination of the thoughts of their minds is only evil all the time. That the world is filled with violence. You begin to see the parallel here between the days of Noah and our day. But I want you to see something else here. That God also sees and makes and provides a provision. A saving provision for, again, those willing to follow Him. Look at verse 14. God says to Noah, make for yourself an ark. Now, first of all, Noah had no idea what an ark was. At this point, Noah has no idea what floodwaters are. In fact, it's very interesting that God tells Noah to build an ark before he ever tells Noah how he's going to destroy the world. But what God does is say, I will make and provide a saving provision for those who are willing to follow me so that you can be preserved through the judgment that's going to come on the earth and so that I will have at least one family to start over again with. Now, one thing that you learn as God describes for Noah, because here again you see the grace of God in the fact that He didn't expect Noah to figure out how to build an ark on his own. He gave Noah the exact specifications of how large the ark was to be, how it was to be made, even that it would be covered with this stuff called pitch that would literally sort of cover it all in and protect them. Because the ark was not a vessel that God told Noah to build that was primarily built for speed or maneuverability. It was primarily a huge barge, if you will, that was just built for stability. It was just built to preserve and protect the people within throughout this flood, a flood that we're going to look at in detail next week in Genesis 7, so that they could come out alive on the other side. And yeah, it was big. For those of you that, you know, were into all kinds of numbers and everything, it was probably about 15,000 cubic square feet. It was huge. You know, there's always a question, well, how did they get all the animals on the ark and... Was it big enough? Yeah, it was. There's been plenty of great books written about the flood and Noah's Ark and how it was all possible. In fact, I'll recommend one to you. If if, If you're interested in Noah and the flood and you want all your questions answered about the animals and all that, and even if you have, you know, teens or children that you want to instruct about Noah and the Ark, let me give you, to me, the best resource out there. It's called A Flood of Evidence. That's the name of the book. A Flood of Evidence. One of the authors is Ken Ham. And if you know anything about evolution and creation and the ministry answers in Genesis, you'll recognize Ken Ham's name very 
very readily. You can get it paperback for probably under $12 at Amazon. So it's not even expensive. But it's a really good book on Noah and the Flood. It will answer all of your scientific questions about Noah and the Flood. But notice God says, verse 14, Make rooms in the ark, cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you should make it. God told Noah exactly how the ark was to be built. And if Noah followed God's instructions, Noah and anyone who entered that ark would be safe. Again, the ark is a very great symbol or sign that points ultimately to Christ, our ark of safety. Because God says the same thing to people today. If you do not want to carry your own judgment for sin, and you want my son to carry that judgment for you, then believe in him as your savior. Trust in the work that my son Jesus did on the cross. Believe that he rose from the dead three days later. Place your total trust and confidence in him, in what he did, and you will be saved. Enter the ark of Jesus. And you never have to worry about judgment. Just as Noah and anyone who by faith trusted in the Lord could enter that ark and know that they would be saved from the floodwaters that would come on the earth. I love this as well. In verse 18, God confirms his relationship with Noah in the tribulation. He says, I, God, will confirm my covenant with you. Well, you can't confirm something unless it's already there. So what we're learning here is that God had already entered, entered into a covenant relationship with Noah sometime in the past. You say, why is that important? It reminds us, and we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, that our God is a covenant God. Meaning that God is willing to bind himself, to obligate himself to us as human beings. And you think about sort of the, the craziness of that. He's a holy, perfect God of the universe who condescends and says... I want you to know that I'm all in with you. And so that you can be reassured throughout your life and assured throughout your life that you choosing to follow me is a good thing and it will go well with you, I will obligate and bind myself to you. We'll be partners throughout life. What's amazing about that is... Even as God followers, so many people say, I, I want to follow God, but no strings attached. I, I don't want to obligate myself to God. I don't want to bind myself to God. I don't want to get too committed or too devoted here. So the thing is, we want God to be all in for us. 
We want God to be there every time we need him. We want God to hear every prayer that we pray and to, to always just sort of hang there. And God, you be all in with me, but God, I don't, I don't want to be all in with you. And I love this. God is saying to Noah, Noah, I want you to know something. I want to assure you and reassure you that I'm in this with you. And that when I begin to bring the floodwaters on the earth, I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove to you that my promises are sure, they are trustworthy, they are eternal, and that you did a good thing by trusting me. Now here's the deal. One of the things we learn then from this is you and I can't see the things that God really wants to do for us to assure us or reassure us if we're never willing to step out by faith and trust Him and do what He's calling us to do. See, it's only when Noah was willing to follow God and be this crazy man in his society and culture who was building a boat, this giant barge, if you will. In fact, can I say this? The ark looked like a coffin, which I think there's even something sort of significant there too. It looked like this giant floating coffin. If you ever saw like renderings of what the ark probably looked like, that's what it looked like, a wooden coffin. In fact, the only other time, very interestingly, that this word ark is used in the Hebrew Bible. Very interesting. It's used for the, the, the basket that Moses' mother made him to hide him and send him down the Nile. It was his little ark of safety, if you will, that she made. And if you read the story, it even says there that she used pitch, the same thing that Noah used to cover the ark so that there wouldn't be leaks, that, that she used that same material to cover Moses' little ark, little basket, and float him down the Nile to safety. The point here, though, is you and I will never see how real and trustworthy and sure and certain God's promises are unless we step out by faith. We want God to show us first and then we say, I'll go. Right? That's the way many of us are. God, you show me, then I'll go. Let me take you real quickly back to the story of Abraham. When God called Abram in Genesis 12, what did God say? God says, you go and then I'll show. You go, then I'll show you. And that's, that's when we begin to see God's word and God's promises confirmed in our life. When we are willing to step out by faith and trust God into the unknown. Say, okay, God. Because God, as he will, because he's a trustworthy God, he will show up. And then we go, wow, God, I'm seeing you work and I'm, I'm seeing you do exactly what you promised, as if we're surprised. But God in those moments wants to show us, but see, now your faith is assured and reassured and, and, reassured and strengthened. 
Because you see that I will come through for you. I will bind myself to you. I will obligate myself to you because I will covenant with you. God has done the same thing with everyone in here who has trusted in Jesus as their Savior. When we trusted in Jesus as our Savior, God said, now I am binding myself to you. I am obligating myself to you because you've accepted my son. And because of that, you and I now are in a covenant relationship. And I will partner with you and I will be there for you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. We will do this together, God says. And when you step out by faith and you trust me in your life, you will, you will prove that I can be trusted. You will prove that my word is sure. And it will assure you and reassure you to keep on going down the road that I'm leading. Which leads us to this last sort of incredible point. And that is in verse 22. We see the response of faith to God's commands by Noah. Besides Noah being a humble man who found God's grace and being a godly man who was willing to conform to God's standards and being a blameless man who wholeheartedly was in with God and who was a man who walked with God in intimate communion and friendship with God and who was a family man, he was also an obedient man and he responded to God's word by faith. The Bible says, and Noah did all that God commanded him. And then it's almost like he did indeed. God actually found somebody who was willing to do not some of what God was saying, but all of it. Because sometimes that's the problem too, is that in our lives we follow God incompletely. We're partially obedient, but we're not fully obedient. And the Bible incredibly says that this human being, just like us, who was sinful and all of that, had the same sin nature that we did. He obeyed God completely. Did everything that God asked him to do. And let's not forget something about this incredible man, Noah. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was made fun. I mean, here's a guy who's telling everybody around him, judgment's coming. In 120 years, God's going to judge the world and bring a worldwide flood. Come on, Noah. You are wasting your time. And by the way, I, I don't think God gave 120 years just because it was going to take Noah that long to build the ark, although it probably did take a pretty good chunk of time to build such a massive boat and get all the animals and all of that. But I believe that God, again, in His grace, even to those that did not believe in Him, was willing to give them 120 years under Noah's ministry, because the Bible also tells us not only did God wait patiently while Noah was constructing the ark, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, but the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Noah was a great preacher. 
And that for 120 years, Noah wasn't just building an ark. Noah was preaching while he was doing it. Warning people. You better get your heart right with God. Because judgment's coming. And for 100... People go, oh, how, how could God do that? Well, first of all, we see the kind of world that it was. And second of all, it wasn't just like God just brought the flood without any warning at all. God gave every human being on the earth 120 years. We don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of people existed on the earth at this time, but I believe that God was giving every last one of them an opportunity to get on that ark with Noah. And you know, as we're going to see in a couple weeks, nobody else got on that ark but Noah and his family. One family, one man, one man. As God looked down on the earth, because God is a God who sees, and God's eyes were looking to and fro saying, who can I strengthen? Whose heart is devoted to me? He found one person. This story of Noah and the flood also reminds us that the truth of God prevails regardless of majorities and minorities. Because the majority, Noah's contemporaries, their heart and their life had no time and no room for God. Noah was the only one. Why is this story so relevant for us today? Because just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days when the Son of Man returns. And God today, His eyes, that sees everything, the good and the bad, He is looking down today. He's looking even right into this auditorium this morning. And He's saying, Who's there? Who's there that I can strengthen whose heart is devoted to me? Who's there that I can use? Who's there that I can work with? Who's there who's willing to partner with me at the Oasis? Who's there who's willing to follow me by faith and trust what I tell them? Can I find anybody there who's willing? Because I think now more than ever, folks, whether it's in our church or other churches and throughout this world, God is looking for people just like Noah who are willing to respond to him by faith and say, God, I trust you. I may get laughed at. I may be mocked. I may be misunderstood. I may be scorned. But God, I believe in you and I trust you. And I am willing to stand out and be distinct amongst my contemporaries. Maybe nobody else in my family will trust you. Maybe nobody else at my work or my school will trust you. Maybe nobody else in my neighborhood will trust you, God. Maybe even few people who call themselves Christians and that I go to church with truly trust you, God. But God, I'm stepping out. I'm stepping up. I'm saying I trust you, God. And God won't ask us to build an ark. But God will ask us to follow him. And God is saying to everyone today, 
I have a plan and purpose for your life. Will you follow me? It won't be to build an ark. But God has a plan and purpose for everyone. Are we willing to respond as Noah did in faith and do all that God is asking us to do? May we stand, please. I believe that God is not only calling individuals, but I believe that God is calling us out as a church. And God is saying, guys and gals, I need a greater level of commitment and devotion than what I've had from you up to this point. Because this year of us getting ready to build our own building and changes are coming and and God wants to do internal changes in our church and He wants to obviously bring new people into our midst and all of that, God is saying, but I, I can't have it as business as usual I'm looking for people within the oasis who are, who are willing to step up and step out and say, God, I'm willing to trust you like I've never trusted you before. And God, I, I am willing, I am willing to follow you. And I'm willing to step up my commitment and my devotion. Because God is asking, is going to be asking for greater things from us so that he can do greater things in and through us. Are we as a church and are we as individual members of this church, are we willing to do that? The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout this auditorium this morning saying, I am willing to strengthen those whose hearts are devoted to me. Will we step up and say, God, here I am. Take my life. I will follow you. Maybe God is specifically calling some of you today to that greater level of commitment. Or maybe you've been wrestling with God about your commitment and involvement and participation in his kingdom. And today is a day of surrender for you. Today is a day to let go and to trust like you've never trusted before. Remember, God says, I won't show you until you're willing to go. And so I'm even asking you today as God's sort of emissary, as God's spokesperson, will you be willing to even step out of your seat today and come and begin to go with God before he ever shows you exactly how it's all going to turn out or where he wants you to go? To be an Abram, And say, God, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and go with you. As we sing this song of invitation, maybe some of you want to physically respond here today by coming forward to this altar and saying, God, here I am. Take my life. Let it be. Be obedient to the Spirit of the Lord as we sing this song.